0: we're back. If you remember from last week, if you listened to last week, we talked about the importance of collaborative efforts in workplaces, in schools. And the reason for this being we are biological beings and social beings who need and seek human connection. So collaborative work, collaborative efforts help us to achieve that. And that's because our brains were developed eons ago in the hunter gatherer tribes with survival in mind, and survival meant connecting to your group and being a part of and belonging. So those thoughts and pathways in our brain and our body still exist, and we definitely still need them to regulate. Ideally, like 20% of our days in group work. Two things to keep in mind around this point. One, in the absence of a sense of connection is pain. When we don't connect to people regularly in our lives at work, in our lives at home, personal lives, there is a sense of pain. Even if we don't consciously feel it, it's there. And if we were to have brain scans done, it would show up in the same area as physical pain. It would be showing that we are experiencing physical pain. Thing number two, oxytocin suppresses the activity of the amygdala. (laughs) What does that mean in English? It means Oxytocin, the love chemical, the connection chemical, it suppresses the activity of the amygdala, essentially the uh, alert threat detection center of the brain, like emotional overall. When you're stressed out and things are, you're triggered and, and all these amygdala is like, woo, 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 it's alert, alarm, fire. And when the amygdala is activated, it kind of takes over, doesn't kind of, it does take over our logic and rationality. And we do and say things we don't really want to do. Oxytocin suppresses that, human touch, human connection. So that is why all this matters and why it's important. On the last episode, we talked about the importance, uh, well, we talked about skills that people need to successfully uh, show up in groups. We talked about things to consider before planning these groups. We talked about expectations. And then today I want to talk about what... Are some things that we need to go through before sending people off. So, the first of which is the procedures for group work. Like, what are the steps for going into group work? Like, what do you need to do beforehand, and what is what is everyone else expected to do in terms of like a one, two, three? One, we have to assign the task. We have to be clear and tell them the task. That one seems pretty obvious. Two, put some particular amount of time around it. Three. Check in before starting to make sure they actually understand what the task is. Four, monitor their progress. Five, put some type of like help me in place before they come to you. So for kids, one that I use a lot in schools, three before me. Check with three people before you come to me to ask me for clarification on something. You could set up something in an adult setting as well. Maybe not so, eh. maybe not wording it in a patronizing way, but you could use the same strategy. And then the last one is a transition queue that wraps everybody up and gets them transitioning to the next thing. Sign the task, what's the amount of time, follow up before starting, monitor progress, A help queue, and a transition queue. Something to think about. Smaller groups are better than larger groups. Usually three to four people, four max, is like the sweet spot. Frequently and regularly working, working in groups that are larger just means that there's higher likelihood for conflict. So ideally smaller groups and really groups that are like similar or like abilities. So if we're talking about work, like people that are working in the same arena, if we're talking about school, kids are the same academic levels. Why? We want to have them feel safe. And when someone in your group or you're the only one in your group who feels like you are below the rest in terms of development or achievement or whatever it may be, you are in a sense of anxiety. But if you feel like there are equals around you, you can be more relaxed and calm and you feel more, you are more likely to participate. I mean, think about if you're in a group of individuals where you know about the same amount of information as those individuals, you're going to participate. If you're in a group where you feel like you know nothing, at least not to the level of those around you, you're probably going to stay quiet. Something, some things to think about before you create your groups. Interdependence. Is it positive? Meaning, does each person have a role and is the workload distributed to each role well? Are we interdependent on each other? We want to be equally. Accountability. How are we holding each person responsible for their work? And what evidence are they going to provide to prove this? We want some face-to-face interaction, whether that's digital or in person, we want some face-to-face interaction. Are they having authentic interactions? Even if they separate, are they coming back together? Social skills, what social skills do they need before the group goes live? We need some group processing time and reflecting on how did they do as a group? What, how is their performance? Where can they improve? And helping groups to get curious. For jumping to conclusions or just reacting to things they didn't like within the group which is a great segue to the next point which is what happens when conflict arises we problem solve or we do something that i call a five minute clinic five minute collaborative clinic so the biggest thing here is you get to keep it short whether it's adults or students you got to keep it short no lecturing no patronizing no rambling four steps you felt i felt problem solution when you do the you felt, you're validating how you think someone felt, and you you start the script with, I think you were feeling, because you don't know. And then you go into, and I was feeling, not but, because but negates what you just validated, and I was feeling. The problem is, let's come up with some solutions together. One, two, three, four. I felt, you felt, sorry, you felt first. You felt, I felt, problem, solution. Write them down. Keep them somewhere. Because if the solution you decide on at the end does not work the next time the problem comes up and it will come back up because it always does, then we want to have a running list to go back to to try something else or to add to. Make sure that when we are going through these four steps, they are super short, concise, clear. State how you think they were feeling. State how you felt. State the problem. Invite them to come up with a solution. Write them down, choose one. And last but not least, let's talk a little bit about types of group work because group work doesn't always have to be like an assignment where everyone comes together and they produce an end product. Group work can look a lot of different ways. Like you can use things called think, pair, share. Turn and talk, walk and talk, ask three, then me. Ironically, that's a group practice inside a group practice. Pick and point. Which, let me explain some of these things. So I think a turn and talk, a walk and talk, a think and then a pair and then a share. Those are all probably pretty self-explanatory. A pick and point is when we engage students to and by asking a question, pausing and having them all point at something at the same time. So better for younger students, but enables the group to kind of corally participate as a group without verbally participating and when I say choral they're not even verbal they're like choral and uh, they're all doing it together but um maybe synchronously participate is a better better uh, word than choral but not actually having to speak write and reveal so so write and reveal could be like you write something down and you all reveal at the same time it gives the opportunity for peers to turn and talk with their partner if they need to to help get the answer you could do a shared chair You could do simulations. You could do just have unstructured social time. And you could do something like get up, walk 10 steps, turn left, walk two steps, partner up with the person closest to you. Like just some type of like maze-like directions like activity that gets them to somebody near them. These are just a few examples of other types of like non-traditional group work, most for classrooms, but you could alter them for adults. And certainly this is not an all-encompassing list. That takes us to today's listener question, which is why. Do we continue to change the way we address behaviors and why do behaviors continue to get worse? Someone's saying, I have changed a lot of the things I've done and it doesn't seem like behaviors are getting any better. So the first thing I would ask you to think about is, are you really changing or have you just implemented a few solutions that haven't worked? Like has your core and how you see behavior and how you respond and react to behavior, has that, have you really changed as an individual? That's step number one, check in with yourself. Step number two, Are the strategies effective? Obviously not, if the games are getting worse. Okay, then are the strategies a right fit, a good fit? Think of the Goldilocks principle. If it's not the right fit, we've gotta try something else. Just using what someone else has used and had success with doesn't mean it's gonna be successful for us because each group is different, each person is different. We've gotta find the right fits and that might be a little bit of trial and error. Number three, research is always changing. So what worked before may not work today. And we've got to get creative and we've got to think outside the box. Because I think about even strategies like planned ignoring. We used to do this in schools. We still do this a lot in schools of like, I'm going to ignore a student when they show misbehavior. You know what's ironic about that? Most students who are acting out negatively are seeking attention. Okay. So we ignore them. We don't give them the attention. The problem is it's a biological need. And by acting out, they're telling us I need attention. I have a deficit in attention. So if we plan To ignore them and do ignore them, we are only deepening psychological scars. Yes, there might be an appropriate time to use that strategy, but often it's overused and it's not used in appropriate situations. What is a better use of time and energy? If a student has an unmet need in the area of attention, attachment, relationship building, then we need to make sure that we are trying to build that and cultivate it before they seek attention. And if we give them little doses of attention before they seek it, they won't be doing it negatively when we don't want them to. To wrap up, I'm going to share with you our try at home tip, which is horse lips. It is a way to stimulate the regulatory nerve in your body and regulate your nervous system. I'm trying to think if I want to do this on, on audio. <laughs> okay. So horse lips is when you like kind of open up your mouth and let your lips kind of hang loose and you blow out air. Kind of like you've seen like a horse blow out air from their lips and their lips just kind of flap. That is exactly what it is. So it's like and your lips just flap one more time. If you could see my lips, you would see them flapping all over the place. Had to do that for you because I'm not sure you would have understood. But I meant if I didn't give you the sound. <laughs> so that's it for today's episode of returning to us podcast. Remember our try at home tip, which is horse lips. If you are looking for more support in areas of stress, trauma, and behavior, I have just started coaching again, which I'm super excited about because co- coaching is my, my passion work. I'm working with schools. I am working with leadership. I am working with families to reorient how they see behavior and to work on reducing stress and bringing nervous systems back down to neutral. So there are less behavioral problems. If you want to learn more about this type of support, thebehaviorhub.com or text me at 717-693-7744. And also we, as in we, I have a business partner, Jessica Doerding and I just launched our organization called the Five Ives which is an organization that works on really company culture, like just shifting company culture to make it more brain-based and trauma-informed. And why does this matter? Why would someone ever want to buy into something like that and commit to it? Why? Because it prevents burnout. It significantly reduces burnout because it changes the culture of the company and makes it more conducive for productivity and for retention. So it makes people happier in their work. Therefore they're happier in their lives. Therefore they show up. They don't flake on work as much. They work harder. They produce more and you get more results. Sounds like a win to me. If you want to learn more about the work that we do for that, we offer a trauma certificate when you go through the program with us. 5ives.com is where you learn more about that and get in touch with us. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer and thank you for joining me.